Are you sheltering in place now? How are you able to participate in recovery when you can't meet face-to-face with other members? Welcome to episode 325 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Patricia, Shauna, Sheila, and Jersey. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Patricia, Shauna, Sheila, and Jersey for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we start, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During the show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. Joining me today is Mary Lou. Welcome back, Mary Lou. Hey, thank you. You have chosen a couple of readings to introduce today's topic. Yes, I have. So the first one is from January 30th, and it's from Hope for Today. The alcoholic was obsessed with alcohol, and I was obsessed with the alcoholic. I watched, monitored, controlled, and exercised my need to feel hurt. I felt self-pity, embarrassment, superiority, resentment, and anger. All of these took obsessive turns, filling my heart and mind. I wondered why I indulged in these draining behaviors and emotions, which only resulted in further misery for me. In Al-Anon, I began to realize that wretchedness and gloom, although familiar and comfortable to a certain extent, were optional. Serenity is possible with changes in my attitude, expectations, and responses. Today, I want to exercise my option to be happy, to feel calm and good. One of my favorite ways to turn my attitude around is the slogan, how important is it? I close my eyes and begin to look at my situation in a larger, maybe even universal context. First, I imagine my little apartment and then my town. I visualize my state and then my country as if on a map. Then the whole world comes into view. If I need to, I even extend my imagination into the planetary universe in the Milky Way. I think of all the beings in this great big world, and I ask myself, how important is it? The larger my world becomes, the more my problem and I shrink. In the grand scheme of things, what I'm dealing with is usually not earth-shattering. This visualization helps me to realize how important it really is so that I can relax and enjoy some pleasant things in my life. Thought for the day, sometimes happiness and serenity are a matter of perspective. Saying how important is it can help us to be cool under stress. That way we can save energy for things that really matter. The quote is from Alateen, Hope for Children of Alcoholics, page 52. And the second reading is from February 8th. In the past, I focused on anyone but myself, my husband, my children, my friends. I scurried around trying to meet what I perceived to be their needs, trying to make their lives orderly, comfortable, safe, and secure. I didn't see that I was still trying to control the disorder, discomfort, and lack of safety and security of my own childhood. Alanon teaches me that I cannot make life a fluffy bed for others. When I keep the focus on myself, I can make my life better. First, I need to stop running away from my own fears and feelings. It is important to face them. Then I can concentrate on myself and learn how to discern what is my responsibility is and what it is not. I learned that when I take responsibility for my own side of the bed and accept that the mattress may have a few lumps in it, I can rest comfortably. Thought for the day, when I keep the focus on myself, I can make my own bed as comfortable as possible. I might just give others the opportunity to do the same. And the quote from Survival to Recovery, focusing on ourselves actually allows us to release other people 
to solve their own problems and frees us to find contentment and even happiness for ourselves. Well, I think both of those readings speak to where I am, where maybe we are in the world today in this moment. It's a very challenging time, and everyone we know is activated and out of sorts. Yeah. yeah, That's that's what I think. (laughs) (laughs) Activated and out of sorts, and in some cases also essentially confined to home, which is just, I can't even, I can't even put a word to it. How I feel about the thought that I might be living out of my home, not going anywhere essentially for who knows how long. And that's, that's another part of sort of the unsettledness, I think of, of the moment. And so I I really liked in the first reading, the visualization of, you know, how important are my small concerns really? And sometimes they are, or they're important to me, but not important to the rest of the world. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're just worries that I can't do anything about. I think everybody's in that exact same place, that there's so much unknown right now. I guess the the reason I had reached out to you is because I feel like that's not a good place for people like us to be, people like me to be, because this is the kind of situation that can just really stir up a lot of stuff and kind of take me back to some kind of bad place. I don't want to go back to that bad place. (laughs) Yeah. When I started thinking about some of the questions and, and issues that you brought up in your email, the thought that came to me for what might be a good title for this episode. And I, I'm thinking something like recovery in a time of isolation. I think partly because the first thing you said was alcoholism is a disease of isolation, which is being forced upon us all. And recognizing that the way I got better was in part through community, in part through being with others who were or had been in the same place and breaking my isolation. I had to break my isolation before I could get better. If I thought that I was going to lose that community, that would not be good for my emotional, spiritual well-being. I completely understand that, which is why I feel like I've spent the last week trying to figure out how to stay connected to people. And so when I saw your post about using electronic meetings, I realized, because one person had already, big meeting that I go to is a Saturday meeting, and that's, I don't even know, probably 50 people. We had been talking about it at our business meeting, the possibility that this was going to happen. And so somebody had said, hey, I have this thing through work, and we can set this up. At that time, it seemed very remote. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to, I have to say it's so ironic. My, my son and I were voting, we were doing early voting a week ago today. And then we went out to lunch afterwards and he wore a mask on his face. He was saying, you know, don't judge me. And I said, well, I'm not judging you. Like it's, it's fine with, I mean, there were a lot of people there and it was in, in really close quarters, a lot of gel, you know, but still. We should be clear today as we're recording is March 21st, which is for me, a week and a day after the governor of the state of Michigan declared a state of emergency. 
Yeah, and it's been six days since Illinois announced a state of emergency. And then a day or two after everybody, tomorrow, I guess, is supposed, everybody's supposed to stay in. Yeah. So it's so it's it's unbelievable. It's almost like dog years, like trying to remember what it was like a week ago. You know, like this is unbelievable. Yeah, a week uh, and a half ago, two weeks ago today, we were talking in my Saturday meeting, like we should probably figure out something in case... We're not able to meet here physically. And by the next Saturday, a week ago today, the church had closed and and we had no place to meet. My friend who was setting it up said he used to work next to people effectively or, you know, down the hall from people or whatever who were involved in this sort of pandemic planning kind of thing. And he knew that once it got started, things could change extremely rapidly. And he kind of expected that we probably wouldn't be having a physical meeting the next week, which none of the rest of us, I think, did. All the rest of us thought, yeah, okay, it's probably coming. You know, we were taking precaution. We were not holding hands anymore. And by the next week, there was no way to be holding hands. That's right. That's exactly right. So that really got me thinking. It was last Sunday that they came out with, you know, not to go out and all of that. And Monday night, I went to a face-to-face meeting. It was very, very small, and we were able to keep social distance. But at that time, the other four people at the meeting said, oh, we want to just keep meeting face-to-face. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is not going <laughs> to work. Yeah. Even if you want to, there might not be a place. I have a, a, a small group that I've been working with for maybe almost two years now. And we would meet at the public library. They, you know, had rooms you could reserve. And and they sent out an email that says, we're canceling all room reservations. No more meetings. And then a couple of days later, we're closing the library. <laughs> we're like, well, yeah. you know, and the churches are closing. And we're like, these are the places that we meet. The, the Alano Club closed. So all of the meetings that were there. So yeah, yeah, it's difficult. So last Sunday, they actually did a church service. The church that I go to, the larger organization, had closed, recommended to closing the churches, which I have to say, honestly, at that time, it seemed a little extreme. But, I mean, I'm not an, Im- an immune-compromised you know, person, so I didn't think of myself as being at that high of a risk. But I watched the, it was on YouTube, and I was kind of, I have to admit, I was a little irritated by it, and I thought it wasn't going to be very good. I thought this is just going to be, well, first of all, I just thought, you know, it's like being on a gigantic conference call where people don't mute themselves, and then half the people put the phone down, and then you're on hold, and everyone hears the music, and (laughs) just thought, oh my gosh, like this is just going to be horrible. But, you know, I have to admit, this is the thing that really changed for me. I don't know, probably about 10 minutes into the service, I thought, oh, like this is how I feel when I'm in the service. And... The way that they were doing it on YouTube, you could see comments on the side as people were joining. And and so mostly people's comments were just so-and-so here, so-and-so here, and then people saying welcome and, and whatever. And uh, I don't know, 10 minutes into it, I, I started to feel like I normally feel during the service. And I thought, oh, like, this is interesting. My amygdala doesn't know where I am. Like, my amygdala thinks I'm in church. And I thought, oh, okay, so... This is something that might work for the long haul, this electronic option. So when I went to that Monday night meeting and people were like, oh, I don't want to do electronic, I thought, well, 
they haven't had the experience that I had had just a day before of kind of starting off as a doubter and skeptical and then thinking, oh, you know, this isn't like a, a soup with a, a lot of vegetables and pasta and beans and meat in it or whatever. But like it's chicken broth, like I can taste it, yes. <laughs> like it's good enough, you know, it's liquid, it's, it's okay. But that was when I started asking myself the question, why was it that I was so reluctant to even do that? And I really started to be more concerned about, there's one meeting in particular that I go to has a lot of older people. And, you know, at, at, at fellowship after the meeting, we've often had conversations about technical issues with their yeah. phones. People have asked me questions and I've sometimes helped people with their phones. And so I started thinking about this, both alcoholism being a disease of isolation, that a lot of the people who are at highest risk for, for the virus themselves are also at very high risk for social isolation. And if you're making the Venn diagram, you know, that these are also some of the people who either lack experience with or have very active fears about technology and, I don't know, whatever, Al-Qaeda trying to get into their phone and <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I have a little bit. The, the meeting that we set up for both my Saturday and Sunday meetings, the service that we're using, you can connect with an application on your computer or on your smartphone, but you can also just dial a phone number you have to punch in like a six-digit code or something and then just be there on the phone. You can do that from any phone. You could do that from a landline. And so we hope that lowers the barrier of entry. For the people who don't have email and don't have texting on their phone, the real challenge for us is how do we get the word to them? And that's been a big challenge and certainly not. it's not, it's not been easy. My church holds a weekly Buddhist meditation group. I participated in that so that I could sort of see how it went because I hadn't used any of these apps before. And so I, I went. It was, it was kind of funny watching 38 people meditating in silence in a video feed. It <laughs> was a little weird. And then the one thing that happened was that the person who was leading the call unmuted everyone at the same time and the noise of that I just I kind of and mm. they were going to do a talk after that and so I thought okay I'm just going to listen to the talk without the oh I couldn't listen to it but but it was enough for me to see like oh this could possibly work and how might I want to do it differently so then on Thursday night somebody had actually set up a call I don't even know how I did this like I just keep getting texts from people that I go to meetings with and they're sending me a thing saying, here, go to this, you know, Google Meetup call. And so I went to another call on Thursday night, and that was okay. Well, first of all, I found out that the face-to-face meeting, that I guess there was another one for that. There were only two people there, and then there, I think there were 17 or, or more people on the phone, at least that I could see on the screen. And that was interesting. First of all, how many people wanted to be on the call? And then when we were on the call, how many people wanted to see, have videos so that they could see one another? But the person who had set it up was different than the one who was actually leading it. So that's an interesting Al-Anon issue, right? That Al-Anon doesn't really have a leader, yeah. usually. I mean, they have a chair, but then the way that these calls work is that whoever is the host has to let people into the call or allow video or, you know, whatever the thing is. And so that's, yeah. I think that's one of the challenges that I haven't quite figured out. So then in the meantime, I'm, I decided, okay, I'm just going to, sign up for the premium service so that I could do as many meetings as I wanted for as long as I wanted. I guess I just didn't understand enough about how it worked. And so I, I actually hosted a call on Friday morning. And I have to say that was a nightmare. Oh. <laughs> it was 
horrible. <laughs> I think I sent out the wrong information. I had to keep cutting and pasting all the information, you know, one by one, texting it to everyone on the phone list. And I had the phone list in a photograph that someone had sent me and I, the whole thing oh, was a nightmare. But here's the thing that that call actually went great because finally, eventually people stuck with it. And even though it was like, I don't know, 20 minutes in, people finally got on. I think there were like 15 people that finally got on. And these are some of the most high risk and technically challenged people and they got on. And, you know, let me back up for a second. So the the church that I go to just did a, a huge, I mean, multi, multi, multi-million dollar renovation. And I've been complaining about, you know, the fact that it's still not really accessible for people with disabilities. So when we did the service online, I thought, oh, this is kind of crazy. I'm going to have to make sure that this keeps on going because there's a lot of older people who can't get into this place and who would benefit from this. There's a woman who goes to the Friday meeting who's had a number of different health issues and that that's affected her mobility and that church is not that accessible. And she was able to make it to the call on Friday, even the messed up one that I set up. And when it was her turn to talk, she, she cried. I mean, she talked about how hard it had been to be away from all of us for so long. And I felt guilty because I thought, like, I can't believe it's taken this, you know, virus situation to push me to do this, to get out of my comfort zone. So I've just had some opportunity to kind of sit with that, like, oh, this is interesting about myself, because that was when I was complaining to my sponsor, why isn't the region doing this, like the Al-Anon region setting this up? Then she said to me, well, it seems like if you care about it, you should do it. (laughs) So then I thought, I guess I should. (laughs) So that's what I did. (laughs) <laughs> there have existed for a long time phone meetings and online meetings, but I think if you are used to, if you're connected to a particular group of people that is in your physical meeting, I think you don't want to go to a different meeting where you don't know anybody. Although I did that this week too. I've done that with physical meetings. Both I've done that in physical meetings, and I've also done that with online meetings. I, so I, I went to an out the Al-Anon call the other day on Wednesday afternoon, and it was so interesting because they said that a week before they'd had 12 people on the call, the same 12 people, and this week they had 130 people on the call. Wow. And there were people from everywhere. I mean, from Canada, from I don't even know all the and, – and I don't know how many states. I lost track. And the person who was like the big moderator kept coming on and saying – you know, give us some time. We're normally used to 12 people. It'd be like if 100 people showed up at your meeting, we don't have enough chairs. Like you're just going to have to take it slow. But it, it was okay, actually. Again, it was okay. And I think just the relief in most people's voices made me feel like if I could do something in this area, I should do it. Like I should push myself because I didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, because I haven't really been in charge of this. I've certainly sure. been on been on a lot of conference calls. But what it made me think was like, I'm not afraid of it, right? Like, I like it's mm-hmm. it's just horrible, you know, to try to like bumble through it because, of course, I have this high level of perfectionism going. And that was one of the things I had to say to myself was, you know, maybe we're just all going to have to lower our standards a little bit here, not have it be perfect, and we're just going to have to. Progress, not perfection. Like this week on the Saturday call, I don't know if it was a feature of Google Hangouts. That's how they set up this particular one. But you couldn't really see that much. As far as I could tell, I couldn't make the video work. But of course, I waited until five minutes before the meeting to find out that my laptop was completely dead. And then I was having Mm -hmm. a hard time getting it. I had to go get a different 
plug, you know, and plug it in and blah, 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 and all of that. So then I might have missed the opportunity to be on the video. So I don't know. But, but you know, that those are just examples of things, though, about myself. So like perfectionism, like it has to be perfect. You know, I have high expectations around this. And so that's my first thing. It's just like, oh, my God, like could yeah. I just give it a rest? I'm, I'm curious with a hundred and however many people in – was this an, an online meeting with video or, or just audio? It was just audio. So how did they moderate that? The person who was the, so first of all, the, the, the big, there's like a big moderator, I guess, from like the WSO or whatever, whoever runs these things. And that person came on and just said, is somebody willing to be the chair? And then finally some person who, I guess maybe one of the 12 normal people there said, yes, I'm willing to do it. And then they just kind of said, hey, if you haven't been on one of these calls before, we have kind of a strict format, sort of here's what it is. And then they asked people to read different things, which, you know, if you didn't have that, you couldn't get to it. But some people were able to get to it, I guess, on their phones. I was able to get to it online because I was sitting in front of a computer. I did it at the end of my workday. So that was kind of how I did it. And and so, you know, would someone volunteer to read this? Would someone volunteer to read the opening? Would someone volunteer to read the steps, you know, the traditions, whatever? Do the reading. And then that meeting has a particular topic. It was on gratitude. And so um, someone gave a little lead. And then there was a discussion about how the call was supposed to end at, at the at the top of the hour and that there were more people on who wanted to talk. And so the chair very um, generously agreed to stay on until as many people talked as mm-hmm. they wanted. And I guess I didn't stay around for it, but but I thought that was really nice. And the people who were running this the big moderator person said, every meeting has been like this. I guess that's the other thing that's really affected me is realizing, you know, this goes back to what we started with, that everyone's, you know, under a state of isolation. Everyone has uncertainty. And there's something just about being able to reach out to other people. I was on a call this morning, actually, for church. And it was after the, after the meeting that I was on before we started talking. And, and two of the people on the call are older people. And they both said, you know, we might die from this. And we kind of have been thinking, well, maybe, maybe that's just all that's going to happen. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is just really pointed out to me. I don't feel like I'm in that place at all. I'm not. And I feel like a big reason I'm not is because of Al-Anon. I'm not really focused on the negativity part of it. I mean, I work in healthcare and I'm aware of a lot of the issues, but, you know, just the first thing that was really striking me was we have tools. We absolutely do. I mean, they, they haven't been so easy for me to use, but I'm confident that with practice, I will get better at using these tools. And so will every single other person who wants to participate in this process, right? Like that's that's one thing. I think the second thing I was thinking about was this level of access of being able to, I mean, the, the, I, I've been on the good calls with the video and the, and the audio and Oh my gosh, you know, five years ago, you you would have had to be Bill Gates to have that level of access. And everybody can have it now for almost free. What a gift. Because to be able to see these people, like you said, when there's a meeting that you like to go to and you see the people and you hear their voices, it's, it's very calming and reassuring to me. It has been. Yes. Oh, for sure. And so last Saturday, as I think I said in the recording I made last Saturday, I was at my parents' house. And normally when I'm at my parents' house, there's a couple of meetings that I go to that are nearby. And 
I knew I wasn't going to make it to the Friday meeting because we just had too much that we had to do, but I thought I might be able to make it to the Monday meeting. And then by the time Saturday came around, I was pretty sure the Monday meeting was going to be canceled. And so I wasn't even going to try. So I was really happy. I was so grateful when um, a member of the Saturday meeting texted me and said, hey, we're holding a, a video meeting, video or phone meeting. You know, here's the phone number, here's the link. And I tried to connect to the video and became pretty clear that I didn't have good enough internet at my parents' house. And so I was able to easily switch to phone, which, again, being able to sort of step down the technology either because I didn't have the capacity for for good video or because I maybe don't have a smartphone or I don't have a computer available to me, maybe where I am or at all, I think is important. And what I'm hearing from you about these WSO-hosted meetings suddenly exploding in size is that it really is a significant act of service for those of us who can do it for our local meetings because people want their meetings. People want to be able to meet. And I think people may be stepping up their meetings too. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. The meeting this morning, there was a, a woman on who said, this is my fourth meeting in a row this week, fourth meeting in four days. I think it was somebody who was new to our Saturday morning meeting. I don't recall seeing her there before, but it's possible. So there's a need, and I think the need is higher than it's been. And, And if we can set something up so that we can have a smaller group and people have more of a chance to participate, I think that's important. I think it's really important. And I have too, because of pushing myself to try these different things out to see what options might work. I too have been to four meetings this week. I don't know that I, at the, at the time that I was doing this, that I thought it was like that helpful to me. But as the calls have gone on, I've realized there's a familiarity. It's a way for me to get back to my routine and it makes me feel less disrupted. And I feel like for me, that's important mm-hmm. because it's, it's it's that part of that balance, right, that we talk about, like in Al-Anon, that we have a choice. And sometimes when we're disrupted, we feel like we're sort of turned upside down and we can't really get ourselves back to that other place. I've been surprised at how, you know, me just trying to figure out how this technology worked and what might be the best option for many that I actually did want to host, how, how helpful that's actually been to me to just realize, oh, like, like I said, just hearing the relief in everyone's voice, mm-hmm. just realize everyone's having a hard time right now. They say that in our church. Everyone you know is having a hard time with something, and you don't even really know what it is. But now we do know. I mean, at least at least as far as this part of it goes, we all know that this is what's going on with everybody, this work-from-home situation. And there was one woman on my call yesterday who is living with active alcoholism, and I felt really bad for her. I mean, that has got to be the worst, I think. In fact, they even had a thing on NPR today about, I think it was Ask Amy or something, like what, what's happening with all these people who are living in, you know, in abusive situations or whatever. Like, ugh. Yeah. Another interesting thing that, that happened this weekend, last weekend, I guess, I got a phone call and an email from a reporter who wanted to talk to me about how are we doing recovery meetings now that we can't be together? And I was like, how did you find me? 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, you are on the internet, Spencer. (laughs) Yeah, I know. But actually, so there was a story in the Los Angeles Times that kind of is a throwaway near the end says, or you could listen to the Recovery Show podcast. (laughs) And apparently that's where this other reporter found it and found the Recovery Show and emailed me and we had a conversation. I don't know what what the result was, but it was it was an interesting experience. Like, okay, somebody knew about it, and now I'm in the newspaper. Yeah, interesting. I saw a similar story in the Washington Post this week of places where they had closed and places where they hadn't. And uh, people, you know, for AA meetings more so than... Yeah, that article was focused on AA, but it's, you know, recovery, and it, it's a similar problem. Yeah. And one of the things I've said to people, too, is I think that one of the things I've learned from being in Al-Anon is a lot of us have gotten used to living with situations that are just not that good for us and thinking, oh, it's not really that bad. Before I came into recovery, there were a lot of things. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Whatever. Don't bother me with all these details. But then now that I've been in recovery, I feel like, A, that's not really true. I try not to say I'm fine when I'm not. And there have definitely been times this week where I haven't felt all that fine. And it's it's okay for me now to be in a situation where I can say I'm not fine and I need to reach out to people. Again, I've kind of taken it on myself. I'm in the process right now of just, because I've been doing all of this this week, to try to keep track of all the meetings, to send something to our district representative of all the meetings that I found out about and that hopefully other people can participate in. And I've really been very surprised I wouldn't say every single person that I've texted this information to has gone to the meetings, but I've been pleasantly surprised to see how many people have that I only maybe see at one meeting or Mm -hmm. haven't seen them for a while or whatever. So I feel like that part is good, too, because obviously then, you know, they're able to benefit from it. Yeah, I think that's a really good thing. Again, I just keep coming back to that. I mean, there's research that shows that people are more likely to die from loneliness and you know, there's people out there, I, I was one of them when I came in Al Anon who, who really was not very good at asking for help. I've certainly met people like that in the rooms. And I think, you know, I'm not in that place. And so I have taken the opportunity to reach out to people, especially some of the ones that I know of. I said, oh, I can't do an online meeting and said, hey, you know, if I can walk you through this, I will. You know, trust me, like it's, it's okay. It, it could be a good experience for you. Yeah, and my wife, who is, she's used computers pretty much her entire career, but she's still challenged by them sometimes. She managed to go through the process of setting up an account on Zoom and creating a meeting uh, to replace her normal Saturday women's 12 and 12 meeting. She says, I really need to connect to those people. And then she also set up a lunch meeting because one of the things that there's a group at that 12 and 12 meeting that after the meeting, they they all go out for lunch, which you can't do anymore. But she set up a zoom call where they could, you know, be on the call and eat lunch and have conversation. And I, so again, this is, she challenged herself to make this happen and asked me to help her with, a thing and and I think there was one thing that that I actually had to help her with which was when she set it up it was set up in the Pacific time zone and 
we're in the Eastern time zone. So she set it up at 10 o'clock and then it showed up on her calendar at one o'clock. She said, that's not right. What? (laughs) (laughs) I went in and said, ah, time zone here. You have to change this. And she was able to do the rest herself. It it might have taken her a little while, but she got the confidence and she can do it. And, and she could make it as a service for the other people in that group. Right. Yeah, there's little things in there that, like military time, <laughs> all of that stuff. Yeah. Is, yeah. Actually, somebody this morning, I think it was somebody in the meeting this morning was saying, you know, no, I think it was my wife, actually. She was like, yeah, I was in a, a Zoom meeting that somebody else had set up and it was a morning meeting. And she said, I'm seeing all the women in their robes. And like, that's not how they show up at the club. (laughs) I I can see where some people might not want to switch back. (laughs) Well, you know, that was one of the things that I was thinking about, because I live like you do in a, in a cold climate, at least part of the year. And by, by being able to participate in some of these meetings that I might not want to go to, because I think, oh, it's cold outside. I don't really want to go out. Uh, Again, I think it just helped make me more comfortable to participate because I could just sit down in, on my chair and, you know, plug in my earphones and, and get in on my phones. And it's interesting. One of the things I was thinking about is I have heard people sometimes, you know, sometimes people in Al-Anon have strong opinions about things that, that we know that. And yep. I've heard people, you know, just in general, not only in Al-Anon, but everywhere, a lot of older people say, oh, these people with their phones, these young people with their phones. And and this really has given me a lot of respect for people who are very comfortable with technology. I feel like maybe it's kind of an opportunity to look at the people with these technology skills as an opportunity to learn something from them and to get to get more comfortable. Like I said, it's made me ask myself the question. I ask myself this question in Alan and to you know a fair amount, which is what's hard for me to accept right now, and then why is it hard for me to accept that? And is that you know that I need to be right? Is it that I'm I'm just uncomfortable and uncertain, and it's hard to do anything new. I was actually listening to a new Brene Brown podcast yesterday, and it was about I won't use the swear words, but but about growth experiences and how <laughs> disorienting those growth experiences can be, and how she's putting out this new podcast, and how just so many different aspects of it are really uncomfortable for her. Yeah, another and another just, fine growth experience. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Again, it kind of brings me back to we're sort of all in this together. And how can we figure out a way to help one another with that part of it and to to get to the other part, which is the part that I've gotten from being an Al-Anon? What do we take away from this? We take away electronic meetings can work. That they provide us an opportunity to connect when we otherwise are not able to. And whether that's because of of COVID or because maybe we're traveling or we're sick, I heard from you that that challenging ourselves to try something new, I mean, it's a good thing, right? But it can be hard, but it can also be enriching. Yes. And that for those of us who are more technologically savvy, it can be an act of service to the people who would be otherwise most isolated to actually step up and create these venues, as my friend in the Saturday morning meeting did for that meeting, and actually for three other meetings throughout the week, or as my wife did for her Saturday morning 
meaning. And people have been so appreciative, even if we've only been able to get to the voice only part of it, just to hear the voices of people that you know is very reassuring. And then the other thing is just for me, just some humility around, oh, like, I'm not going to be good at this right away, but I can keep trying. Right. And we're all in this together. Hopefully the experience is going to get better. Those are things I've definitely learned in Al-Anon. Yes, oh, for sure. And it doesn't have to be perfect to, to, be, to be good enough. It absolutely doesn't have to be perfect. And what you were saying about even just hearing the voices, I mean, a couple people this morning expressed, it is so wonderful to hear your voices. I know you from the face-to-face meeting, so I can, I can visualize you as I'm hearing your voice. Again, that reestablishing a little bit of community, even if we can't physically touch each other, we can't see each other, we can't hold hands at the end of the meeting. The serenity prayer feels a little weird because everybody's a little bit out of sync as we're saying I it. know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think one effect is that most of these services have a little bit of delay that you know, it might take a half a second for when I speak for it to come out of your earbuds. And so if we're trying to do something in synchrony, that just breaks that totally. Because I start talking, maybe if I start talking, you start talking at the same time, but we don't hear each other being in synchrony. And so then we're like, oh, wait, I have to, I have to pause and wait for the other person to catch up to me or whatever. Again, that's something that's new that... I don't know, we're going to have to get used to doing it our, our ourselves and not worrying so much about, are we all in sync? Is it, I don't know. It, 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 that's something that bugs me anyway, okay? And and I and I come back to the, the reading, you know, the how important is it? And what was the other, uh, the other reading I wrote down? Uh, keeping the focus on myself, like keeping the focus on not, how are the other people hearing me? How am I hearing me? Something like that, maybe. That was weird, though. I was talking to some women that I sponsored this week, and one was very upset about other people's behavior during this crisis. And right. I think that for me, I just said, like, do you, like, really? Like, do you, you really have that much energy to, <laughs> to worry about what other people are doing? Like, for me, I'm just trying to make sure that I'm taking care of myself every day. So what do I need to eat? I mean, honestly, if I'm being perfectly honest about it, probably the thing that's the most upsetting to me right now is the fact that my gym is closed. And so I haven't gone this long, you know, without going to my gym as an adult. I can't even remember. So like, ugh, like this has just been a nightmare to get used to everything. And believe it or not, there's actually a gym in my building. But I'm just so out of sorts about all of my routines being just so disrupted and to just recognize I'm certainly not the only one who's in that situation. And I really can't worry about what other people all over the country are doing. We have like a culture of outrage, you know, that's like, watch these people. What are they doing? What should they be doing? (laughs) And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I got to get off of this because that is not a good thing for me as an Al-Anon person to be worried about what people in other states and Whatever. Right. I'm grateful every day, at least, that I have some time in Al-Anon that helps me not do that kind of thing. And that gives me tools to 
recenter myself a little bit when I get off center. I was saying in my meeting this morning, the last couple of nights I've woken up in the middle of the night because I don't know, the dog needs to go out or something. And just having this vague feeling of unease in, you know, sort of in my stomach and having trouble getting back to sleep. And at least I have tools for that now. I can make a gratitude list. I can focus on my breathing, focus on the moment, and recognize that worrying about tomorrow or next week or next month doesn't accomplish anything for me. You know, and this is stuff that I learned when I was living with active drinking, but I can use it in these other situations. Somebody this morning said, yeah, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was worrying and I remembered that somebody had talked about doing an alphabetical gratitude list. So I started doing that. And I got all the way through the alphabet. And I started over and I got about halfway through the second time. And that's all I remember. Sometimes we have to apply our tools a little harder, I think. I have to apply my tools a little harder. But I've got them, right? Right, right. I agree with you. And I think that even when I'm talking with people outside of the program, you know, all of this focusing on the future where there's so much uncertainty, one of the things I've learned how to do in Al-Anon is to say, I mean, we're not even really promised today, right? Like from now until midnight or whatever. But but I've definitely learned that if I'm in some kind of state, whether it's over other people or myself or whatever, is to just say, like, how can I take care? Like, right now it's, you know, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm probably going to go to bed around 10. Like, how do I take care of myself between now and then? Yeah. Like, that's it. I don't have to worry about all that other stuff. It's going to keep on coming. But how do I take care of myself? Like, right now, my cat is laying in the sunshine. Things are good. Things are good for your cat, yeah. <laughs> and they're okay for you, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm okay right now. I really am. And all that worrying, it was just like such a strategy to, I don't know what, like deal with myself and my, my own feelings of uncertainty. That's partly why I picked those readings, because it was just, I was so busy, focused on other people and what they were doing. But if I can say to myself, like, I'm okay right now, I I really am. And I don't have to worry about putting my energy onto what anybody's doing. Absolutely. I think it was my wife said, she was talking to a coworker, and she said something like, yeah, we're we're really just going to have to take it one day at a time. As if there's any other way to take it, right? <laughs> well, and and she said this was like a total revelation to her coworker. Like, wow. Oh, that's amazing that we could do that, you know. I know. I agree with you, yeah. And and I think it probably was for me when I came into Al-Anon to hear one day at a time and just for today. That was a really huge mind shift for me, a huge perspective shift to say, oh, I really only have to, I only have to deal with what's happening now. It's so easy right now to live in the wreckage of the future because there are so many people with projections of how bad it's going to be. And they're all different. And some of them are really bad. And it's it's really easy to focus on the ones that are really bad. Knowing that, we don't know. 
These people are making informed guesses at best. They're taking some numbers that may or may not be the right numbers and plugging them into a formula and saying, this is how bad it's going to be. And the fact that different people come up with very different visions of how bad it's going to be just says something about how realistic it is to worry about it. I've said this before. It doesn't mean not planning. It doesn't mean making sure that I don't have to run out every day to get some ingredient for a meal because that increases my risk. But it also doesn't, at least for me, it doesn't mean stockpiling a year's worth of food and 10 years worth of toilet paper. (laughs) Like some of our compatriots. Apparently because Costco's out of toilet paper and that never happens. Well, I feel like being in Al-Anon, though, one of the things that this is showing me is just like how people really don't understand the situation, right? This is just a very great example of fear-based decision-making. It's interesting that you're talking about just for today, because I think in the reading it was how important is it? I mean, this is important. It's not that it's not important. But on the other hand, how important is it for me to try to make a difference in it today. You know, there are ways that we, we've been told that we can make a difference by not stockpiling necessary products and by not putting ourselves out there to get, you know, in contact with other people and being an asymptomatic carrier. I think that's super important to keep in mind. But, but the other part of that is that you, when you were talking was just this idea, I think of it as not really like living in the wreckage of the future, but to say to myself, if we have as long a period of time as, as China has from, from where they were when they started until, you know, no new cases and no deaths, I, I have to prepare myself for the possibility of, of a longer time at home than I might care for. And do I have the tools in place in order to do that? Are there things that might be bothering me, you know, that if it, it might not bother me for a day or two, but, it, but if it was for eight weeks, it was really going to bother me. You know, so then I have to think, okay, so if there are things that are going to bother me, how can I take care of them and not put them off? So like, you know, the prospect of not going to a meeting for a week, I could live through that. I can't live for eight weeks. And that was what pushed me to go out and buy a premium membership on Zoom so that I could just say, okay, I can set up meetings and I can set them up on the spot so that I don't have to worry about how many people or how long the meetings go or, you know, accidentally getting cut off after the free membership meetings or whatever. Like I can afford to do that, and and that is important to me. And I can I can pay for that for a year, like if I have to. Like hopefully I won't. Well, as my friend this morning said, you know what I'm paying for this service is less than I put in the basket in the meetings that I go to. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's less than half of what I put in the basket on a monthly basis. So this is my contribution. I don't need you to support it. Right. And it's important enough to me to have this as a tool that's available to me to help me soothe myself. I want to be in contact with other people. And so I'm going to do what I can to make this happen. And I mean, that was one of the things that struck me in the beginning, because there was a lot, a lot of discussion sort of back and forth on email and, and over text of, 
you know, could we get the district to pay for it? Could we get the district to agree to it? And then I was finally like, okay, like I can't wait for them. It like, and it doesn't cost that much. <laughs> I know it doesn't cost any, I mean, it's all ridiculous in, in the long run, but you know what I mean? Like it would be yep. easier if there was a, but Elena doesn't really move that fast. It's not really designed to move that fast. And so I'm in a um, hobby club and there has been how many emails back and forth and back and forth over the past week about, hey, we could have a virtual meeting, but, oh, which service should we use And this one and that one? And I'm like, somebody just set one up, okay, please? We don't need to spend all this time talking about what works because they all work. And if we try one and we don't like it, we'll try another one. But sometimes we get caught in these you know, these, Making the perfect decision. Yes, right. The perfect exactly. information. Exactly. For the perfect whatever. I mean, I can't yeah. tell you, like on the call I was on this morning, actually on both two of the three calls that I've been on this week, you know, people were saying, well, I'm happy with, with the voice only option. And I said, I don't think you understand enough about technology. Like all of these things, they have a video and a voice only option. And it's actually almost easier to set up the, the combo meetings than it is to set up the voice only options. They all have a voice only option. Even people with flip phones can participate. And for some people, again, this goes back to if some people feel more comforted by being able to see other people and they're okay with giving up. I think there's actually a way to preserve your anonymity, but you have to kind of go to a couple of more extra steps like, you know, like protecting yourself on Facebook or whatever. But it's like, you know what, if that's if that's what people want to do and that's and, and they're getting something more out of seeing other people. Like far be it from me to be the one to tell them, oh no, you can't do it this yeah. way because we have all these rules in place, whatever. Like, oh my gosh. So yeah. Well, I noticed this morning that there were fourteen people in the meeting this morning, which is several more than were in it last week, so that's progress. Five of us were on video and our names were shown and I think Effectively, all five of us had put our full name in when we signed up for the, you know, the account or not even an account, really. I mean, it's just to be able to, to log in. Right. And all the people on the phone just had a phone number. Right. Nobody says you got to put your right name in when you sign up. Correct. Uh. And when I set up the meeting, I'm allowed to say, you know, my first name and my last initial. Yeah. So you can do that. Um, you can say Mickey Mouse if you want. Although right. it's probably better to use your actual first name if that's what people know you by in a meeting because they might know who's this Mickey Mouse person, right? I know, yeah. You know, that's not going to protect you from the NSA, but you know, using your phone is not going to protect you from the NSA either, and that's not what we're worried about. Well, there probably are people who are worried about that. But, sure. You know. There are, I don't know. but that's not the level of anonymity that we promise in a 12-step program. Well, and even Bill W. said, you know, these meetings are confidential. We're not anonymous to each other. Yes. And so I feel like that's super important to remember. And and again, we're in a situation where, I don't know, for me, the more important issue is to, is to help people connect. Right now. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And if, if knowing my full name helps somebody connect, so be it. I I mean, I've been in the program long enough that it really doesn't bother me. I'm more concerned about the flip side of anonymity, which is not getting set up as an icon of recovery because I sure as hell know that I'm not. 
if you read the discussion in the books on Tradition 12, you know, it talks about both sides of anonymity. Both that we can be anonymous to the extent that we want to be anonymous, but that also our anonymity helps us to meet as a fellowship of equals. That we're not looking up to some people and looking down at other people, that we're looking across at each other. Right. Oh, man, this has been a great discussion. I'm kind of feeling like we wove in to that discussion. What was our week in recovery like? That we can can just go forward go forward from that. I do want to say I've received a nice number of contributions for the episode that I'm putting together about dual program members. Um, There still is time to contribute if you're listening and you want to contribute your experience as a member of more than one program, how they support each other and how you keep them separate when you need to, like in a meeting. I, I might be putting that together for next week. If you want to join our conversation here, if you want to um, talk about your experience in in the last week or maybe longer for you about meeting online electronically by phone or not being able to meet and how how that isolation is probably not working for you, whatever, you can call and leave a voicemail. You can send us an email. And Mary Lee, do you have those details handy? You can call and leave a voicemail at area code 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send mail to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or questions about the topic of e-meetings or communication, isolation, any of these other topics. And all the information is on the website. There's a page at therecovery.show slash contact, which has the phone number, the voicemail button, the email address, etc. So if you forget all that, just remember therecovery.show slash contact or the contact link in the menu at the top of the page. Also, we have notes for the episode. So at the recovery.show slash 325 for this one, we'll have links to the book that we read from, possibly other resources that we might have talked about. And since I didn't come up with any music, we're not probably going to have music videos unless I get really inspired about, you know, songs about isolation, songs about community, songs about connecting on the internet. I don't know. There probably are some. I'm sure there are. So I might get inspired and just put some songs on the webpage, but we're not talking about them here. I guess it's been a couple of weeks since I did a sort of a normal episode. I've done a couple of short episodes that I recorded on my phone, the one about online meetings one I put up yesterday about fear and anxiety, but it's been a while since I've done a full episode. So we have we have some emails and some voicemails today. Mark wrote, 
Spencer, great episode, number 321, with the author of Born Into Crazy. Apart from content and substance of her sharing, it's inspiring just to hear from someone who has come through so much and with such a sense of self, hope, and generosity, not only intact, but flourishing. A listener inquired about the availability of online meetings. You provided links to Al-Anon's online resources and to In the Rooms. And then Mark followed up with a voicemail talking about another 12-step program, Families Anonymous. Hi, Spencer. It's Mark. I'm listening to the episode about Dharma recovery. Very interesting. Uh, I would like to say, you know, thoughts and prayers for you and your father and your family and, of course, everybody else right now, but in particular for, for what you're dealing with. I sent in an email a few weeks ago with some links to an organization called Families Anonymous, which is like Al-Anon in a lot of respects, but it's less of a spouse or usually parents and children with addicted relationships. Because it didn't have the same level of membership, they do have significant online options, which everybody is probably going to have to use. And you may have already gotten to this, but just in case you hadn't, I just wanted to put it in a voicemail so that you could have people aware of that possible resource. And it's called, again, Families Anonymous. All right, thanks so much for your uh, great work and good service. Have a good day. Thanks, Mark. He sent a link to the Families Anonymous webpage, specifically to their online meetings page. So I will put that in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 325. I had an email conversation with a listener who wrote asking for me to please put a trigger warning on that episode 321 with Diana talking about her experience and her book, Born Into Crazy. Diana had put a, a trigger warning at the beginning of her share, but apparently not sufficiently for this listener. I put one in the website, and I'm still thinking if there's something I can do to the recording, but the, the thing is that once people have downloaded that to their phone or whatever, whatever change I make, they're not going to get the update, but it could help people in the future. My listener wrote, that was really hard for me because I've experienced trauma and immediately afterwards my family of origin acting as if it was normal and like I'm the crazy one for feeling affected or upset by something that's upsetting and that specifically referred to Diana had pre-recorded a share about her experience and then we talked about it and the transition from the end of her share into the talking about it was there wasn't sufficient space to let people process, I think. And it went from this traumatic experience that she relates at the end of her recording into this fairly cheerful conversation that the two of us had. So again, uh, my apologies for the roughness of, of that. The listener continued, I don't know how it ended because I had to stop listening to that for my own mental health. I do plan to finish listening at some point, but I think that if I had this reaction, perhaps it is worth noting that maybe it is sensitive material. And if someone is listening to this episode, because they are feeling vulnerable and need hope and serenity immediately, this may not be the best choice of episode. Yeah, that's really valuable feedback. Brittany sent a letter. Can you read that? Hi, I'm just starting my journey of recovery. I have not been able to get to an Al-Anon meeting yet, but I just found your podcast. The first one I listened to was Detachment with Love, episode 188. I keep hearing people talk about detachment and even read about it, in some literature, but still couldn't quite understand how to do this practically. This episode provided me with a beautiful explanation. Thank you. I believe that me and my addict 
husband will benefit from what I've learned. Can't wait to keep listening, Brittany. Thank you. Detachment is such a hard concept, and I'm I'm glad to hear that we were able to clarify it somewhat for you. So that's that's great. Thanks. A listener wrote about episode 320, which was titled Surrender to Win. I'm new to the program. My qualifier has been living with mental illness all of their lives, her parents, and then herself. I shared this episode with my qualifier's spouse. A number of things in the episode spoke to me. I know I need to let go and let God. It's hard to know what steps to take to make sure my grandchildren are safe and okay. Struggling now, but gathering strength and wisdom. Thanks. Mark also responded to that episode with a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. This is Mark. I was listening to episode 320 about surrender to win. And it just so happens a couple of weeks back at a face-to-face, surrender was the topic. And there was a reading from my urge to change that talked about the distinction between surrender and submission and the residue that's left when you only submit but not really surrender unqualifiedly. And that really struck a chord with me because I did that. I, I submitted because of my abject failure to be able to manage my qualifier's addiction. But I had all of this, you know, residue, all of this reserved struggle. It's as if I stopped beating my head against the wall, but then I sidled down a few steps and started beating my head against a different spot in the wall. I wasn't getting anywhere. And I had a lot of resentment and and a resurgence of fear. And it ultimately didn't feel like progress. It just felt like I had been blocked in my attempt to control my qualifier's disease. So really, the the program did get through to me that, that something more was required. And it was surrender, a kind of absolute surrender, which fit very well with the third step aspect, which I also struggled with with that kind of giving over to your higher power and, like, giving the entirety of your struggle over. No reservations, no wiggle room for myself. And that helps, but it's something I have to renew continually because I do have this tendency to go back, to pick back up and to backslide. Thanks, as always, and keep up the good work. He was talking about beating his head against the wall and then going and beating his head against a different part of the wall. I thought, well, surrender is understanding that the wall is always going to be harder than my head. Any thoughts there? Yeah, I think the wall always wins. The wall always wins. You want to read Millie's email? Hi, my name is Millie. I'm from West Virginia, and my daughter is an addict, thankfully in recovery and going day by day. I would like to know if I could get a copy of the letter that Deborah C. read at the beginning of the podcast. That was absolutely perfect and is needed for all parents to read that are struggling with a child with addictions. Thank you for your podcast. I've learned so much from them. It's encouraging. Keep it up, and thanks from one struggling mother to another. Millie. There is a link in the show notes for episode 322 with Deborah C. to this letter. It's titled Letter from My Higher Power or something like that forget the exact title. I did make a link to where you can find it online. Mark was a busy voicemailer this week. We had a listener asked a question about peacemaker and peacekeeper, and is there a difference? That was when I was talking to Josh in episode 
323, I think it was, the Dharma Recovery episode. And we had some discussion about it, and, and Mark also has some thoughts. Spencer, it's uh, Mark, and I was listening to your episode where you were asking the question about peacekeeper versus keep make, uh, peacemaker, and it immediately I came to mind that it, when you're living with active addiction, it's not peace that you're trying to keep. You're just trying to keep the lid on things, and it's, it was always a lot of low-level stress and, and anxiety, which is not consistent at all with peace. And, and, you know, I guess part of me knew that, so I tried to force the issue, you know, force solutions and make real peace, and that was disastrous. That produced just more chaos. And years later down the road, I went started to go to meetings, and I heard people talk about serenity and peace, and that's what they were trying to keep. They were, were peacekeepers, but they were talking and sharing about their own peace of mind their own serenity, and they work very studiously and very, you know, long and hard at keeping the serenity and the peace that they had gained in the program. So far as the, the uh, dealing with the addiction and trying to keep peace amidst all of those consequences, I mean, all I could do was detach and let go and, and let God. It sounds trite, but, you know. I, I mean, I certainly found myself trying to be that peacemaker, that mediator, and it was just being caught in a nasty, unproductive, and really deleterious uh, triangle. It just was impossible for me without the program. But thanks, thanks again for uh, for your program. It's terrific, and I listen to it whenever I can. Have a good day. I think he makes a really good point there that we can't make peace and we can't keep peace, but we can keep serenity because serenity, uh, and I'm making a distinction here, like peace is sort of external pieces making the storm calm down. Whereas serenity is internal. We got several messages relating to the COVID-19 pandemic and the influence that it's had on us, social distancing, online meetings, and so on. So I'm grouping them all together here. We got a voice share from Amanda. Hi, Spencer. Thank you so much for your episode announcement about online meetings and how important it is to take proactive precautions right now during the coronavirus and engage in social distancing as much as possible. Our groups have transitioned to using Zoom, and it's worked really well. With Zoom, you can have a face-to-face -face meeting. It's possible to project the script, steps, readings, all of that with the screen share function. So it really feels like a normal meeting can take place. You can see people's faces. You can collectively all look at maybe the 12 traditions together, the 12 steps, etc. You can join from your phone or your computer. It's pretty easy to create a Zoom account so that meetings can go longer than the free 40 minutes. On one account, you can have as many meetings as you want, as long as they're just not at the exact same time. The way that I found it work best is if someone creates a meeting format on a PowerPoint and then saving that PowerPoint to a PDF so that someone can just screen share and then slowly scroll through that PDF and everyone can see it. 
someone else can maybe read it as the chairperson during the Al-Anon meeting. I, I've actually been familiar with this even before the coronavirus. There's a recurring Zoom adult children of alcoholics meeting, which has been really successful. And how we've been doing the seventh tradition there is the Zoom account is around 15 pounds a month. I'm in England. On the seventh tradition slide of the PowerPoint, we say we're self-supporting, all that. The contributions go to the account on Zoom, World Service Organizations, etc. And then we post the email of this Zoom account, which we have a PayPal towards so people can just make their seventh tradition contributions via PayPal. And in my experience, it's worked really well. That's been going on with the ACA meetings. And now, given the coronavirus, we've added more meetings to replace in-person meetings, like face-to-face that were here in, in town. On Sunday, I set up a, a last-minute Zoom meeting for, for an Al-Anon meeting, and I didn't have the time to create the PowerPoint format. You don't have specifically online thing, but it, it wasn't needed. I was just able to pull up the steps offline. I used the script that I had in my email, but you could probably pull up a suggested script, the preamble from the Al-Anon website, um, and just projected that onto the screen. We read the daily readers during the meeting, and it was great. Members who had it were just available to, to read it out loud to the group. Yeah, that really worked well as a contingency plan, even though I didn't have some sort of special online script prepared. It totally wasn't necessary, just us getting together and knowing that at the very least, the Al-Anon suggested script meeting format is online and that can be pulled up was a really helpful resource in that moment. Um, Really grateful that there are so many awesome online options with Zoom, Skype, Google Hangout, you know, as well as just the telephone, right? There's so many great options. One silver lining that me and some of my program friends were talking about is that now we have been given the time that we can spend a little bit more time on step work that maybe we haven't been able to get to. And also the fact that actually, at least in my immediate community, people might even be able to get to more meetings than they were before because whereas maybe there's only one or two ACA meetings or one Al-Anon meeting someone could get to in a week, I think in the upcoming weeks, there'll probably be one offered every day, if not every couple of days. So already the online community is, is growing. For that, I am grateful that our recovery can be strong during this time. And yeah, I'm just sending love and strength and as much serenity as possible to all of you. So thank you again so much, Spencer, for all of your service with this amazing podcast. Take care. Thank you, Amanda, for sharing that experience. Amanda did send me a copy of that PDF that she uses for the adult children meeting. Uh, It has a whole lot of details in it that I'm not comfortable posting online, but if you want a copy, I can email it to you if you ask. And she echoed a lot of the stuff that we said earlier, didn't she? She did. And I think what's interesting to me is, I think I may have mentioned this when we were talking in the last episode about my reluctance to use the phone, and I have pushed right past that now. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Yes, you clearly have. And so, yeah, it's, I feel pretty good about that, actually. Like, I, yeah, I gotta, I gotta move past this 
particular problem. So Awesome. We got a letter from Charles. You want to read that? Hey, Spencer. Greatly appreciate and indeed thankful for your wonderfully inspiring podcast. I have just found your podcast a few months back since returning to Al-Anon after several years' absence. Al-Anon and ACOA have been deeply instrumental in my long-term recovery, which started way back in the 80s here in Belfast, Northern Ireland, then later in London, UK. Getting straight to my point, we now live in a very different world with the unwelcome and untimely advent of the coronavirus, COVID-19. In light of that and the call from our governments and indeed my very personal experience to not attend group conferences or meetings at this time, can I suggest an episode on this very topic? attending recovery meeting or not during a pandemic, what can we do? Wonder what your thoughts are and the thoughts of your listeners have on this with a specific reference to attending meetings, etc. Would very much appreciate the voices and opinions of others right now and alternative tools, services, suggestions, e.g. possible remote meetings. Keep up the amazing, helpful work and service that you provide. Deeply appreciated. I am glued to it. Letting go and letting God one day at a time. CJ, Belfast, Ireland. Yeah. Well, I hope we uh, we did that for you, CJ. How about that? Huh? <laughs> Matthew sent me an infographic, which I will put a link in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 325, titled Nine Tips for Coping with Social Distancing. It, in brief, uh, there's more detail in the PDF with with, you know, suggestions of of how to do these things. Go on a news diet, virtual happy hour, which by the way, does not necessarily involve drinking. Make gratitude. (laughs) Yeah, right. I saw that. I was like, really? Like, oh, but actually the suggestions, I don't think there's any alcoholic beverages in the suggestions that he has on his infographic. Make a gratitude list, try light therapy, exercise every day. And you pointed that out, Mary Lou. and, And I realized that I have not been doing my exercise routine because my gym closed. The best I've been doing is slightly longer walks with the dog. I need to work that out. Wear blue blockers, forgive, pray, and number nine, the serenity prayer. It's a nice little thing to just look at and say, oh, I could do that. You know, like sometimes we need reminders about these simple things. Totally. Yeah. Stephanie wrote... Hi, Spencer. I'm a new listener and just recently started attending CODA meetings. That's Codependence Anonymous, right? I wanted to let you know that I have learned so many invaluable lessons by listening to your podcast, and it brings me so much hope for recovery. I've been self-isolating even before the COVID-19 social distancing began due to my recent struggles with depression, and the recovery show has allowed me to continue to listen to other people's stories even when I couldn't bring myself to socialize. I really appreciated your input about trying different meeting groups to find the right fit because I've recently learned the group I've been going to does not do traditional sponsorship and I need that. So I will continue my search. I also appreciated your input about trying online meeting options during this pandemic. I was inspired by the most recent episode about approaching recovery from a Buddhist perspective because I'm still searching for a connection to my higher power and meditation has been extremely helpful for me. I found that we have both Recovery Dharma and Refuge Recovery Groups here, and I hope to look into both of them as potential options for fellowship. So to make a short story long, thank you for all you do. I hope that in my recovery, I can someday reach out to others and bring them serenity as you do, Stephanie. Thank you, Stephanie, for writing. I hope you are continuing to connect online as we're all isolating. 
You know, Spencer, this is this is interesting to me too. Kind of goes back to what Matthew said. I actually read an article the other day about about how we consume news, and the writer's suggestion was, and this I guess kind of goes along with what I understand about Buddhism. I feel like it's very compatible with Al-Anon, which is like, what is my intention mm. when I l- listen to the news or watch the news or read about the news? Yeah. I had not really considered that before, and this writer was suggesting to try to consume news in a more mindful way. You know, in other words, am I just going on there to kind of like rev myself up over, as you were saying earlier, you know, the possible wreckage of the future, yeah. or am I actually going out to find out, is there something I can actually do or that I really need to know? And I think that I, I don't really feel like I benefit from the revving myself up part. And so just think like, oh, I don't really need to read every single thing. And I certainly don't need to watch. I don't know. I guess I, like I said earlier, it's kind of like this whole thing about outrage, outrage about what people are doing or not doing or who's doing what right. And I just, I, I just recognize myself that I just don't have enough. Sometimes I say to myself, I just don't have enough recovery to watch that. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> When I was visiting my parents, my brother, who is living with them and is their primary caregiver, watches the evening news on the television. I found that I needed to remove myself from the room. Just the way in which, and this is from a source that is, let's say, in alignment with my political leanings, and that's all I'm going to say. Just the way in which they do it, it's so sensationalized. Everything is so immediate and so critical. It's like, this is not helpful to me to hear the news presented in this way. And I realized, you know, my consumption is a little bit of radio, which is not as sensationalized as the TV news. And and mostly written. That's what works for me. And that's how I can. And when I'm reading something, I can stop reading <laughs> right now, you know? Interesting that you bring that up because I'm actually being very calmed by the director of the NIH, Anthony Fauci. Like he's been very calm in terms of his delivery. But the rest of it, I realized, and not that long ago, actually before this whole virus thing started, maybe because I grew up in an alcoholic home. I actually find all these people on these shows kind of standing and screaming at one another, like, yeah. kind of very triggering. Yeah. And now I'm just like, yeah, I don't even really need to watch that. And I, I'm, I'm even less than you. I find that it's not as upsetting to me when I'm reading it. Usually on paper, <laughs> I can put it down and then just walk away from it. But that idea to just remind myself to be mindful, like, what am I actually going for here? Because... It's just, yeah, I don't need to inflame myself unnecessarily. And and that's that's kind of the world that we live in right now, right? That everyone should just be outraged about everything all the time. And yeah, that's, I, that's why I tell myself, I just don't have enough recovery to go down that road. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yes. And uh, you want to read this letter from a fellow Al-Anoner? Sure. Dear Recovery Show, first of all, I want to say a big thank you for your show. The podcast is so useful and helpful in my recovery. And there's a little heart emoji. I also wondered if doing an episode on the coronavirus in relation to a higher power might be interesting, exploring questions like 
how can a higher power get us through these unprecedented times? And even how to explain a higher power in a world where loved ones are being taken away before their time. Thanks again so much for everything that you do, a fellow Alan Unner. <sighs> yeah. Which is a different perspective that I think... I, I don't know if I feel qualified <laughs> to address the question from that perspective. But it, it is a great question. I, I agree. It's a great question. And I think that this is one of the areas in which I really struggle. I think that the higher power that I grew up with was kind of that vengeful, you know, whatever, higher power. And yeah, it's very challenging to me. I think I have to admit that the things that have been the hardest for me to watch on the news have been things where maybe I won't take the negative view of that. So I read some positive articles where family members decided that they had a family member who was likely to not last the next few months and decided to take their family member home out of a nursing home or whatever mm -hmm. to, to take them away from this. And, yeah. and I've been very moved by the possibility of that. And I think it's very challenging, like the hospital that I work at now, there's no visitation um, whatsoever. And I feel very bad for the individuals who are in the hospital, mm. in the nursing facility, knowing that even if their family members wanted to visit them, they can't. And certainly some of the people who are in those settings can't use technology. And I think that staff are trying to do the best that they can. I guess that's the the other thing is to see the, I don't know, to highlight the, the essential role that people in grocery stores and providing health care no to kidding. people. I've said thank you to every single person in the grocery store that I've seen. Just Thank you for being here. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. totally. You know, as I said, my wife has her Saturday morning AA meeting, and then a number of people from that meeting go and have lunch together at a local restaurant. And they always go to the same restaurant. She feels very strongly that she wants that restaurant to be able to still be there when this is over. So we ordered takeout from them today for lunch, which is still allowed in Michigan. There's some pretty strict rules, like no more than five people can be inside waiting at one time. I, I went to pick it up from the restaurant I realized as I saw the cashier put on a glove before taking my credit card and they offered me a new pen and encouraged me to take it with me. The steps that the people who are putting themselves out there for anybody who walks in the door, whatever condition that person who walks in the door might be in, you know, that these people are there for us. And they're potentially putting themselves at risk. And yes, they're taking all you know, reasonable precautions, but that's significant. That's a big thing. And my wife, when she put in the order, she not only did we order our food, which I think was under $20 for the two of us, she bought a gift card because that gives the restaurant money now when you know, their business is down so that hopefully they can stay open. And she left a much larger tip than normal. She left a tip for the person who took the order and a tip for the person who served it, even though that service was just putting it in a bag and bringing it to me. And there are ways in which I can support the people who are helping us have still some amount of normalcy in this crazy time, right? 
And, you know, those are things that we can do because we do have the flexibility to be able to do that. And I'm not suggesting that everybody should go out and buy takeout and leave big tips. Certainly not, because that's not something everybody can do, but we can, and it's something we can do. The the question that our, our fellow Alan Hunter asks, how to explain a higher power in a world where loved ones are being taken away before their time? This, <laughs> I said I don't feel qualified, and this is a question that that theologians and and other religious leaders have struggled with for centuries. It's not a new question. But I think we were talking about this before we started recording, Mary Lou. I, you know, my father came home to hospice, and one of the reasons for that was that the family, which is to say the three of us children, the ones who are medical power of attorney for our parents, we decided that the hospital was not a good place for him at this time. And he came home to hospice care, which I think is what what he needs at this point in his journey. My mother is not on hospice. We asked the doctor, so what if he gets coronavirus, they will make him comfortable and he will die. If she gets coronavirus, she's not on hospice. What would happen? And the doctor was like, well, we would want to hospitalize her, put her on a ventilator, even though she has indicated pretty clearly in her directive that she wants to focus on quality of life, not on, you know, all saving measures. And then the doctor said, but she could refuse. I feel like it's not unlikely that we'll face that question sometime in the next year as this virus works its way through the population. You know, that as an 89-year-old in not super health and with dementia, if she gets it, she's probably not going to survive it. Do we want her to not survive it after being in a hospital bed isolated with a vent? Or do we want her to not survive it in the company of her loving family? And I think I know what the answer to that question is. It's better to think about it ahead of time so we're prepared to, when when it does come up, it's not an easy question. It's really not an easy question to answer. And what we feel is right for our family is only what we feel is right for our family and not for anybody else. So that's a, a long digression from a couple of small, <laughs> short but big questions. Yeah, and I guess I would just say that, that there's a lot of heartbreaking things that are happening right now. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I, I don't know. But I think that the other part of this is that most people are doing the best that they can. And that to the degree that we can, you know, support, like you were describing, a number of different positive things that, as much as we can, yeah. that may be the most that we can do in certain yeah. situations. And I guess for me personally, how does a higher power help me get through this? What I know is that the outcomes that come may not be the outcomes that I would prefer. But I also know from experience that I will be okay. That I do have the support of a loving higher power to get me through it even if things don't work out the way that I think they, they ought to. Alina sent us a share 
on episode 61, including her thoughts on the pandemic and how the community is coming together in response. Hi, my name's Alina. I just wanted to share on episode 61 on intuition or God's will. I'm listening to these podcasts in order and kind of trying to share at the same time when I'm doing it. So the timing is a little different, but right now we're going through, I'm actually waiting to walk into work, but we're going into this pandemic with the coronavirus and I haven't really shared since this whole thing unfolded, but I've experienced certain times where the communities come together or there's been worry or concern or not knowing what the future holds, but this is probably one of the biggest ones I've ever encountered and I talking to my coworkers and we kind of discuss it and I'm trying to uh, not necessarily have anxiety over it or stress about it because this can be, you know, it's God's will. And I don't say I'm not worried or concerned for my health or for my loved one's health. I don't know. It's just a different uh, feeling. And I feel kind of when I see things good around me happening from this, it kind of makes me grateful just seeing the community uh, care about each other. People just seem a little more... I have a little more empathy and a little more compassion, and I don't know if I'm just focusing on that or if that really truly is there, but regardless, it just makes me feel good about the situation and what's happening. Last night, they, the governor did announce to shut down non-essential businesses. However, I'm considered an essential business, so we will remain open in the healthcare field and stuff, so we play a role in this. And, you know, my husband's been very obsessed with this for probably the last three weeks and you know he he's one of my qualifiers and I didn't disregard anything he said but he was really really obsessive about it and it got us into a couple arguments about him trying to control or dictate you know what I do and I feel like I'm an adult I can make my own decisions and I'm glad that he was strong in his opinions and out with his stuff and I just wish he would have respected mine a little bit more but in the end it all comes down to we're both trying to take care of love for each other and just help each other out. So it's just quite interesting how this is all going. But this topic, God's will or intuition, uh, the intuition part is kind of hard for me to interpret a little bit. I I don't know. I feel like God's will is separate, and I like that saying, uh, my will, thine be done. So I always kind of remind myself of that from time to time when things seem a little uncertain or I'm not able to control the outcome of a situation, which this is dealing with this coronavirus scare. Like I said, I've never dealt with anything like this before. And my coworkers and I were were talking about how we forget how global this is, like all around the world. You know, when I go on my Instagram account, I just, people that I follow in other countries, I just keep forgetting or I don't remember right away. And when they start saying stuff, I'm like, wow, this is really crazy that we all have this common thing and now we're uh, practicing uh, social distance which for me isn't so difficult I mean the only thing that maybe um, I'll miss out on is obviously the gym that's my number one thing but I know I can work out from home and I've been uh, going on hikes and enjoying nature a little bit more and the weather's really nice now so that's a plus and I love going out and trying new restaurants and stuff with my other qualifier, and so that's been on the back burner. But, you know, we are trying to both 
focused on what this means. Like, oh, well, this means we just have to have quality time together and maybe talk a little more and do things a little different. And I don't know. I just feel good about things right now. Um, I'm not really too worried um, at the moment. So I know that it'll pass. And I'm just grateful to have Al-Anon and the tools to help get me through this. Maybe that's why my mind is staying somewhat serene and, and not getting too worried. I mean, I am concerned but I'm not freaking out or anything like that. So anyways, I'm grateful, and thank you for the podcast. This really does help now that social distancing is there, but I really, really enjoy the podcast and everything that you guys do and the topics and the shares and just the connection. I'm just feeling connected when we can't really be physically connected. So thank you. listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems there are those among us who have had them too if we did not talk about a problem you are facing today feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode may understanding love and peace growing you one day at a time